All right, welcome to episode two. We're in James chapter two. Keep in mind that as we read, James is writing this letter um, while the world is experiencing you know, poverty, the church is being persecuted at a high rate, and there's a serious famine happening throughout the land. And so when he writes this, he's gonna address a sin. Specifically, it's called the sin of partiality. Another word for it is favoritism. And James is addressing this within the church. And the reason why he's addressing this is because he recognizes that when we're under immense pressure or lack and we need stuff, um, what can tend to happen is we can compromise and we're tempted to uh, when we are in the most need, right? And so he begins in verse one, let's read. My Brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called, okay? So guys, let's stop here for a moment. James is addressing this issue of favoritism. And the word favoritism here and the word partiality as well are translated into respecter of persons. Now that may ring a bell for you because there's another Bible verse where the Bible teaches us that that God is no respecter of persons. So I need you to keep in mind that God isn't someone who shows favoritism. But there are a few misconceptions that happen for all of us when we show favoritism. And I wanna mention just three. Number one, when we show favoritism, we have a misconception of others, right? The man that's walking in with the gold ring, looking flashy, showing up to church, what can tend to happen is we're so overwhelmed and drawn to the things they have that we may forget that that very wealthy person showing up to your church or becoming a part of your business or interested in what you do may actually have a resource that is greater than the wealth they've created. In fact, I would just, I, I, I just, I'd go a step further. I tell you 100% that person's greatest resource is not their money. Their greatest resource is the fact that they are an eternal being. And I want you to hear that one more time. Everything else in your life comes and goes. But if you're a person and you're listening to this right now, your greatest value is the fact that you have eternal value. And that is the importance of the soul of every person you meet. So it's a misconception of others when we look at them and say, well, clearly they're rich. And because they're rich, that's their greatest value in our church. So let's have them sit in the front reserved seating. Let's make sure they're extra comfortable because the truth is that what they're actually dealing with are very similar to the things you deal with. The same issues, um, the drama, the setbacks, right? There's a very rich person in your church that is equally as broken in their soul. And so let's make sure we're making an intentional effort to focus on reaching people's souls, all right? The second thing that happens is we have a misconception of ourselves, when we choose to treat others with favoritism, we tend to do that because we're saying, 
oh, they're slightly more elevated. They're superior to certain people. Sometimes you may even see people and say, they are superior to me. Now, no one sits around, I don't think, and says, oh yeah, that person, yeah, I suck. They're better than me. I don't think that's the case. However, I do think subconsciously we say to ourselves, that person, that race, those people, that woman, that man, those kids are more well-behaved than my kids. They're better. We tend to say to ourselves, someone else is superior, and it's a misconception of yourself when you do that because God has created you in his image alike and equal to the person you're looking at saying, they're a little bit better than me, I think. Okay. The third misconception is this. We have a misconception of God when we show favoritism. Because what happens is we start to say to ourselves, clearly God gave them more gifts. They're better than me. Of course God would use them. They're so anointed. They're so amazing. And you look at people and you tend to call out all the great qualities you see in them. And you say to yourself, well, of course God would use someone like that. The misconceptions that are developed from favoritism will distract you from being able to love people the way Jesus has loved you. Okay, so let's read on to what's happening in verse chapter 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So I want to stop for a moment here. James is actually addressing now that showing partiality, showing favoritism, right? Very much connected to the idea of flattery, that it's actually a sin. Okay, so we'll pick up in verse 9. But if you show partiality, same verse, you are committing sin and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are going to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What James is doing here is he's highlighting the fact that something like favoritism or partiality can be easily overlooked by all of us. And we tend to say, ah, it's not that big of a deal. But then he gives examples and says, actually, it's equal to adultery. It's equal to murder. If you've broken one part of the law, man, you've broken all of it. And so until we can accept the severity the misconceptions that favoritism develops, um, we won't really be able to live in the freedom God is calling us towards when it comes to how we deal with people in our church, our organization, or even your business. And so we move on because James transitions the conversation to talking about combining or marrying this idea that faith is expressed through your works. And this is what he says in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says they have faith, but they do not have works, can that faith save them? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And then James says this part, and I want you to catch this. He says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So this whole part, and you go on through verse 19, all the way down to verse 26, James starts to give some examples of a life lived by faith, 
is is connected. They are not two separate ideas. They are actually a part of one another. Faith produces this thing called works, okay? It's naturally a connected idea. And so he's saying, oh, your faith, your belief in God is a lot like these commandments, right? And Jesus said it best in Matthew 5, 46. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, all of you. And then he says, and the second one is like it. Now, I want you to notice this idea. What God is saying is he's saying, hey, the first part, love God with all you've got, everything, everything you've got, everything you are, love God with it. And if you want to know what that looks like expressively, if you want to know what that looks like, hands, feet, going, doing it, it looks like loving your neighbor as yourself. So if you really, if you really think about it, these commandments, one and two, are actually intertwined. God is saying, love me with all you've got. And here's how you do it. You do it by loving your neighbor as yourself. So James goes on and gives examples in verse 23 of Abraham, right, who believed God and was counted to him as righteousness, right? And he, he went to sacrifice his son, trusting God. Not only did he have faith, but he actually took the steps, built an altar to sacrifice his only son that God had given him, right? That's a whole nother conversation. But what was he doing? He wasn't just saying, God, I believe what you said. But he started taking the steps, the actions, doing the work to actually show that his faith had feet, had arms, had legs, right? Had, had a movement and took action. And to end it all, verse 25, he says, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead dead. I want to stop for a moment and talk about Rahab. Who is Rahab? Rahab was a woman that was currently a prostitute. That was her, that was her occupation. And there was a moment where the messenger snuck in to a kingdom and she actually took these men of God and hid them inside one of her closets in her house. And, and it was a big deal because she could have been killed for risking her life to protect these messengers who were going into this kingdom and trying to find out what this place was like and then going back to the Israelites to say, hey, it's it's like this, it's like that, the walls are this way. And, and so she, she went out of her way to protect these guys. And notice the Bible doesn't say that she was formerly a prostitute. It says she was currently a prostitute, right? And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Rahab herself, in her sin and in her issues, like all of us do, did you notice that God counted it to her as righteousness? Because she wasn't just talking about Jesus or talking Bible or scriptures or, or spewing out a bunch of really, really cool sermons she's heard. She's actually showing it by the works She's actually showing it by, by helping these messengers go another way. This is what James is talking about. He's saying, what's the point of telling someone who is cold, well, man, I'm just believing that God will get you a sweater, right? When you're standing right there and you probably have an extra one in your closet somewhere. God is calling us to show our love for him by the way we love others. And maybe that's the message James is trying to send out here in chapter two. He's trying to say, 
Every soul matters because every soul is eternal. The wealth gained in this world doesn't go with you into eternity, right? People should not be treated based upon their salary caps or, or, or where they're at financially or how many properties they own, right? Or how little they don't have. They should be treated based upon the eternal soul that they are. They are a soul with a body, not the other way around. God bless you guys. I hope you enjoyed chapter two. Jump on to chapter three next week. Take care.